0: Welcome back. For this podcast, we chatted to Ozma Shah from You Make It, a charity that works to empower young and unemployed women from Black and Asian backgrounds with the confidence, skills, networks, knowledge and experiences needed to realise their passions and pursue their goals. This was a really interesting discussion. Matt and I left inspired by how Ozma and her team are working to challenge racism in the workplace and wider society in general and helping to instill confidence in young women who need it. We hope that you take as much from this chat as we did.
1: Hi, Asma. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, all good. Very good. Thanks thanks for coming on. Um, Obviously, um, just to give everyone a bit of kind of background, we we obviously um, met when we Lived In Bethnal Green, kind of in the same block of flats in, in East London. It same uh, when I moved to London, kind of back in what well, I think it was early 2000s, late 90s, and a mutual friend, and actually a, another guest, previous guest on this podcast. So, Rob Ferroni had put, um, you know, had mentioned your charity that I didn't realise what you'd been up to in that, in the kind of 20 years. And, uh, I thought, you know, it'd be really good. I mean, he'd said it had a really powerful impact on him and I just wanted to, you know, I thought it'd be really good to, to chat to you about that and get it and, and understand what's been going on. But, you know, for those of you that don't know you or, or haven't heard of the You Make It charity, would you be able to just tell us a bit about yourself and the charity?
2: Yeah. So, um, it was a very long time ago, I knew <laughs> it you, was. Um, in Besson Green. And in 2011, in the aftermath of my mother passing away, who was a single parent, mm. I thought long and hard about our start in life and the struggles we had as um, Pakistanis, as women, and as people who were brought up in early years deprivation.
1: Yeah,
2: And I had been... My career has been largely working in middle management within very sort of white spaces with mostly very privileged people. But when, as I say, my mum passed away, I thought about our life story, our trajectory, and I thought that I wanted to do something that reached out to women with similar backgrounds to myself, who may also have struggled with confidence, a sense of self-esteem and self-worth when it came to entering the workplace and then trying to navigate in it. So You Make It is a charity that works with young, unemployed, and underemployed working class women, a majority of whom are Black and Asian yeah. and who reside in the East End of London. And we run very powerful programs that work on them from the inside out. So we don't just give them practical skills and tools to help them find work but we help address the root causes of what holds them back. Where does that low self-esteem come from? Why do they have a low sense of self-confidence? So uh, we place as much importance on practical skills around employment search and being work ready as we do around mental health and wellness. So they also access therapy and yoga and running clubs and healthy eating That's um, as well as workshops and one-to-one mentoring and some of the more practical um, areas that you would need to delve into to find work or set up your own businesses okay um but i do just also want to say in addition to the yeah. empowerment programs we run for women um that we have been now doing for almost 12 years as of 2020 we also deliver a very powerful anti-racism allyship program aimed at employers who want to become um allies in the fight against racism
0: Mm.
1: yeah and that's you know obviously that's something that we're hopefully going to do in the the new year and get the guys on i think you know for us as a as an all-white company Mm. um so not the most diverse um but you know not by design, and I hope I want to kind of change that. Um, you know, this is, this conversation and all, and your programme is as much, you know, it's mainly about educating us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it's a topic that both Megan and I are really passionate about as well, and understanding and thinking about white privilege. Um, I don't know if you can kind of just talk a bit through um, that as well, just in terms of what, the, the type of things you do to cover yeah, all some so- of the programmes.
2: Yeah. So the anti-racism allyship programme is called You Change It. And um, it's a human centred approach. And by that, it's very much designed to basically change the hearts and minds of people who take part in it when they consider race and white privilege. So just to go back, um, Matt, so when I knew you, (laughs) I was probably new to the world of work. Mm. And that was the beginning of my time in working in largely spaces that would let me in. But actually, when it came to promotions, when it came to experiencing microaggressions, Mm. when it came to pay, I was treated really, really badly. And so. I think and and, and in all of those places, actually, they would at some point run diversity training. Yeah. But that diversity training was always uh, led by, delivered by people with no lived experiences of what it actually is. Yeah on the receiving end of discrimination and the focus of that training was very much looking at every form of discrimination and very little focus on race I would say Mm. and when they did consider race it was very much about if you employ people more diversely it will improve your bottom line it's going to be good for business so the work was never about actually getting people to think emotionally in a different way around the importance to be more inclusive. It was always a business case. And so as a result, those places that I worked in um, continued to be racist places to work in. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference between that kind of training and you change it is that, as I say, it's very much on creating an emotional connection between those who take part and our stories. What does it feel like to be somebody who is discriminated against? Mm. So it's a five modular course. We look at the history and the science of racism in the UK, how it's impacted the diaspora of people from formerly colonized countries. So I think lots of people don't even know why. You know, black and Asian people are in this country. Actually, we are the of countries that were invaded by Britain yeah. <laughs> and yeah. colonised. And we were invited to come, actually, yeah. um, in many instances. Mm-hmm. Um, you would then hear, as I say, the stories of what it's been like for me to grow up in London um, And then enter the workplace and be continuously um, talked down to and not recognized and in many ways exploited. So overworked, but underpaid. Mm. And I think that's a really important issue to focus on, because there's been a lot in this country, rightly, that focuses on discussion around the gender pay gap.
0: Mm. But
2: actually only very recently has there been more of a focus on the ethnic pay gap. And it's a very real thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, no, and
2: no, then we, we move we into... Talk about that on the
1: way, Yeah, walking here, we in were about Megan. Megan mentioned okay. Okay and I, I wasn't yeah. even aware um oh. that there was kind of such an issue
0: yeah I was listening to a thing with Renny Edel- Lodge. she wrote you know uh, Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People about race and she was yeah, talking she's about a the speaker racial on. she's
2: a guest speaker on our programme for young women oh really not racism oh, programme but for our young women
0: oh wow she's such a powerful speaker as well so I imagine that's really yeah it, that'll provoke a big reaction there that's fantastic Um and yeah she was just talking about how um there is a racial pay gap and that's something that had never really occurred to me before but she was I think it's because people often aren't encouraged to talk about their salary in the workplace. It's very like, you know, it's hush, 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 thing. Hmm. So I think then when maybe people who were, who did feel like there was a racial pay gap and would, would try and raise that issue, then it was like, no, no, there's not, there's no, and like, you, you know, and there was no kind of evidence to back it up because people didn't chat about it. Um, yeah. And it was just something that we were talking yeah. about on the way here and we were really surprised and we were saying like, is that a thing? But you obviously have experienced it
2: yourself. I've experienced it and actually I've experienced it in several places of work where I knew there was a gap mm-hmm. because I spoke to immediate peers of mine who were in some cases I would say less experienced than I yeah um, and younger who would disclose that they were typically earning um, usually between six and eight thousand pounds more than myself. That is outrageous. And wow.
1: Absolutely outrageous. It, it, yeah, yeah it, it, I can't, it's crazy. I can't even
2: and in those instances, actually, just to go back to our training, mm. um, one of the modules is called What Would You Say If? Mm. And mm. it's focused on giving real scenarios to those who are taking part role play scenarios of what and how people should respond when they find out that racism is at play in their organization. Mm. So in the instances mm. where I was being paid less, my colleagues did nothing to back me up. Yeah, yeah. They could have, in theory, with me, yeah. uh, given me some sense of allyship and courage to go and address it with HR. But I was yeah. usually just somebody who was left going, "Oh, I'm being paid less." And then what happens actually is when you realise you're being paid less, you assume that you're not as good. Yeah. Hmm. The very long time I spent working in places. If I wasn't getting the promotions, if I wasn't on the same pay, if I was being ignored in meetings, Mm -hmm. um, the natural conclusion as a younger person in the workforce, certainly before I became more worked on, was to think Mm -hmm. I'm obviously just not as clever. And I think it's taken setting you make it up, Mm -hmm. actually, and sustaining and growing a charity over 11 years of austerity through the pandemic yeah. Yeah. and now as you know as a recession looms mm.
0: yeah
2: um for me to understand that I was clever enough but I was very clever and very capable yeah. mm. but it suited employers to have me believe that I just wasn't and you're talking about
1: big you know large kind of multinational organization team I'm mm. right? not talking about just small businesses that you know you're talking about some of the bigger players obviously you're not going to name names talking- but um
2: It won't won't be difficult people to find out who they are. They can just look (laughs) at my LinkedIn. But I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, a major broadcaster Mm. with an external brand, actually, that really celebrates diversity. Mm. But when you look behind the scenes, uh, the picture is awful. Who are the people who are serving us in the canteen? Who are the people who are cleaning the toilets? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: When they're, what colour are they? They're black. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think- and when there are people like me who make it into management roles, middle management within those places of work, we are not being paid management salaries no. like our white peers. And we are very, very clearly being signaled to that we're not good enough. I want to give you one anecdote, which I share actually with the women on my empowerment programs, as well as to people who take part in our anti-racism work, which is in one of those large organizations, I had at some point... Created a role, created a case for a strategic management role. And I got given that gig yeah. and my appraisal was fantastic mm. when it came to the time that they were turning that, that contract job into a permanent position with a very lucrative salary, having just had a very good appraisal, I said to the director of then HR, mm. well, I'm going to be going for that job. I'll obviously apply for it because I've been doing it. And her response was asthma, or she didn't pronounce my name properly because they never did, Uh, probably (laughs) asthma. Asthma, you're good, but you're good down here. And she patted the floor. What? Now, that is a real example of our experiences in the world of work. Mm. And I didn't have the confidence at that point to even challenge that way of being treated. But it's something that I share now Mm. that I'm far more confident yeah. Um, yeah. I mean the well of work and of my abilities.
0: How old were you at the time?
2: I was in my early thirties. Yeah. So do you think,
1: it, you know, across the board, well, not across the board. That's not generalised, but a lot of these big companies are just kind of putting these diversity kind of programs in place. It's just virtue sig- um, signalling. They're ticking the box. They're trying, as you say, you know, it, it, it's that kind of ticking exercise rather yeah. than act- actually implementing. Meaningful change within their businesses.
2: Yeah, I think to implement meaningful change in your business, you have to make sure that your employees go through some really uncomfortable work on themselves. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's where something like you change it comes in, where we really, it really is about shifting the heart and minds yeah. of people when it comes to understanding race and the impact of racism.
0: And what's um, the, sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to ask what sort of feedback you've actually had from the You Change It programme, like from employers, but also from, you know, maybe like um, people like minorities within the workplace and how they have felt that then maybe attitudes have shifted. Has there been a big shift, do you think, after people have taken this programme or has it then been a case of going back to the office and nothing's really changed at all?
2: Right. Now, there has been a shift and we've mm. literally very recently just signed off on our first impact report. Mm. which I think I have actually shared with Matt. Yes. Um, So we've not been going for long and we're a really small charity where five people, we deliver these continuous empowerment programs for women Yeah. and then we also do this anti-race and work with employers. But I'm very proud to say that actually when we've conducted follow-up interviews with the 15 companies across sectors who've taken part, um, there are some very clear changes in terms of their recruitment practices, Mm. but also um, how they retain and nurture talent. Yeah. Within those organizations. And I think the reality is that the companies that we've worked with, or the charities we work with commercial companies and the third sector, they're not massive. Yeah. They're small. They're probably up to a hundred people. And yeah. I think probably cultural change or changing the mindsets of a workforce when it's not thousands of people yeah. is probably a bit easier. Yeah. When yeah. we've had uh that those organizations take part in you change it, the anti-racism work. And it's included ethnic minorities within those Zoom calls. It's all delivered by Zoom. They have uh, felt a number of things, actually. They have felt uh, triggered Mm. because the stories that we tell resonate with their own stories. And they've probably never, ever before told those stories or even considered race in the way that we talk about it. Mm. But they also feel relieved that finally... The truth is being told about what it feels like to be a racially minoritized person in a majority white workforce.
0: Yeah. And I think it's that, you know, finally feeling like you're probably being represented as well. That is so important. And just kind of going back a little bit, stripping it back slightly to like your upbringing as well. Obviously, you mentioned your mother, um, and you mentioned you, you know you mentioned your kind of early career and the fact that you were very driven and you reached management positions and stuff. But I was just kind of wondering one question that we like to ask everybody on this podcast is like, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Um, but I guess for you, what I was wondering was. Obviously, when you're a kid, you think you're invincible. So you think I could be Superman, I could be this, I could be that. Was there ever a point as a child that you suddenly came to realise that maybe certain things weren't as easily accessible for you as a, a you know person of colour? Was there ever yeah. that point where you thought, you know what, maybe I I am at a disadvantage here?
2: Yeah, so I want... It's funny you ask that question, actually, Megan, because what I wanted to be was become a journalist. Mm. Um, I loved words. I'm probably quite a strong writer. Mm. And I went to a really... um deprived school in the 80s in bermondsey southeast london it was a time actually where the national front uh far-right fascist party were quite prevalent you know you'd get up you'd go to school it was nf on every bus stop and packies out at every bus stop Mm. and there was a lot of racism in my school so i would suggest i would say actually there were very low expectations of us anyway Um, and when it came to the school brokering work experience placements, which happened, I think, in the fifth form. Mm. I think we call it the fifth form. They probably call it something else now, year, (laughs) whatever. Yeah. Uh, I said I wanted to work for a paper Mm -hmm. and they didn't even attempt to broker any experience for me in even a local newspaper. So while everybody else did their work experience in shoe shops and supermarkets, I'm talking about that level of aspiration. Or what was encouraged um, in education at that point for women from working girls and working class backgrounds. Mm. I had to just stay at school, was given a pad of A4 paper and just write my own articles. And I remember writing about environmental issues, if I remember correctly, but Mm. there was no, there wasn't work experience for me. And there wasn't even an attempt. So I think very, very early on, when I going to back to your question, what did I dream of? Yeah. What did I want to do? It was to be a journalist. And that was pretty squashed quite quickly, actually. And I think it's, you know, if you look at the the, the workforce, journalistic workforce of all the broadsheets and lots of papers, it's still majority white, male and privately educated. Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: When you look at the profile of journalists in the UK, and indeed yeah, anyone working in the kind of media publishing sector,
0: yeah. mm-hmm. it's just it is terrible. And just in terms of that kind of early understanding of racial differences, too, as a child, like how important do you think it is to make children aware of diversity from a young age? Like, should this become a bigger part of the school curriculum? You obviously you've experienced it yourself. So how how aware should teachers be of that, and how should they be implementing change themselves? Do you think
2: teachers need to embed in the national curriculum the history of colonialism Mm. and they don't do it. No. And successive governments, whether Tories or labor governments have not wanted the true history of British colonialism, which Mm. is the roots of racism, right? Yeah. They're the roots. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've continuously wanted to leave that out of the curriculum Mm. So I think it's probably really, really important that that is addressed, and the national mm-hmm. curriculum is given a really, really huge shakeup. Yeah. When it comes to children understanding the history of Black and Brown people in this country, mm-hmm. why we're here, how did we come mm-hmm. to be here, and where were the Brits? Yeah. Before they withdrew. Mm-hmm and all came back home. Yeah. And what did they do to the the diaspora and the natives of those countries? Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably a really important thing. Yeah, I think that teachers don't really teach what needs to be taught. No.
0: No,
2: it shows how. Um, And you have to get to the root cause. And we do Mm -hmm. that, actually, in our anti-racism programme, actually. You know, really educated people take part in you, change it. Educated, smart, good people, Mm -hmm. kind people.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, And they are literally flawed when it comes to the module of then and now a history of british racism
1: mm-hmm. it's
2: about just getting it out there as well isn't it i mean yeah you know education at that
1: you know the earliest point mm-hmm. around all this is is key um to kind of nipping it the but but also the the you know for us i was just i was going to say as well that we obviously we're recruitment, we work with a lot of companies a lot of hr teams and i think it's really important for us but you know, if we can help to kind of get your message out there as yeah. well you know we'll we're, we'll happily happily do that just for me, I wanted to so a couple of couple of things. So, obviously, you put a lot of work in. Um, you know, this is your your life. Um, what does success look like before you make it? You know, how will you? When will you be happy? When will you have achieved what you want to achieve? Is it just Is it an ongoing? You know,
2: battle. Yeah, for it's you? really interesting actually because I set you make it up from this very kitchen table that yeah. I'm at now yeah. with no funding, mm-hmm. just that you know, in grief. And that reflection, I guess, the existential crisis that led me to think, this is what my purpose is. Yeah, Yeah. It is to do this work. And it's interesting, because when I set it up as a pilot with no money, I probably thought that was just going to be it. Successful pilot job done. (laughs) And at graduation, when our women were on stage talking about how amazing the programme was, quite a few of them said, keep doing it. Mm. Other women should have this. So I guess for me, success in terms of you make it, is that we continue to exist. Yeah, We do what we have done, which is that we've increased the number of women that we now work with. Mm. I personally don't want to grow a massive empire. I want my charity to remain small Mm. and for me to understand every woman who we work with. But what I think is important is that we share how we work with other people who try to engage with young talent. Yeah. So they are able to help and support in the way that we obviously are as well. You know, our impact is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Around 80% of our graduates go on to get paid employment. Many women who start with us with depression, anxiety report that by the end, it's just not an issue for them. Amazing. Um, wow. so I think success for you, Maker, is that we continue to work in a financially stable way. As a charity, mm-hmm. it's very hard year in, year out. You're yeah. thinking, where's the next year's finance going to come from? It's extremely hard to run and sustain a charity if you're black or brown led and a woman there is Mm. lots of research that says that we find it harder to get investment yeah yeah um so that's success being able to run without panicking how i'm going to pay my really small team but also perhaps that other people learn from us and apply our very successful way of working with young people to their own contexts
1: yeah Mm. and 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 i guess Um, Can you talk then a little bit more around kind of recent events? You think about the Black Lives Matter movement and COVID and all that kind of wrapped up and the impact of that on your charity in kind of so many different ways, probably financially, but also, you know, awareness, you know, all of these different issues over the past two or three years. Can you just talk a bit about that for us as well?
2: Yeah. So we, our programme, our work with young women is, has always, you know, whilst pre-COVID face to face. Yeah, extremely relational very much about energy and human touchy touchy programs so when the lockdown was announced in 2020 I genuinely thought we're just gonna have there was a moment sorry where I thought Mm. we're gonna have to stop because this work won't work on zoom it can't but actually we already work with a demographic who in a pre-pandemic world, suffer from aloneness and isolation and mm. poor mental health in many ways yeah. because of discrimination, women, black, Asian, poor, everything. Mm. Yeah. So we very quickly decided to pivot online. And I'm very happy to say that all of the remote Zoom programs we ran for women, we tweaked them, we changed them. We did a lot more health and wellness-related activities. They were really successful. Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Um, But I think, sorry, I've lost the trail of the question. <laughs> that was just—it was just around,
1: you know, the, that impact of COVID yeah. on you. Obviously, you moved every, so so, yeah, so into remote and yeah. everything on Zoom. But at the same time, as all that was happening, you had, you know, George Floyd. You had the yeah. Black Lives Matter movement yeah. kind of happening, and we we're all watching that unfold, remote, mm. you know, remotely. And sure. It,
2: so the the impact for us as a charity is that we are. My workforce is a small one. We're all black and Asian. We've lived experiences that resonate with our women's lives. Mm-hmm. And also we have lived experiences of, like our women, being the victims of racism. Yeah. So being locked up in our flats working tirelessly, endlessly to deliver to our women through Zoom. Yeah. And then watching George Floyd get murdered was really, really triggering.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And Uh, we're also I'm not young I'm 50 next year but my workforce my team are young Mm. you know there there are you know, they, they're young. They're, yeah. There are a few Gen Zs in there. There's one just <laughs> on the cast. They're young. <laughs> and actually, I think it was a really important moment, actually, when George Floyd was murdered and yeah. we were existing within a pandemic where our own mental health and wellness was being very, very challenged. that mm. mm. we, as an organisation, decided to pay for therapy for all of our staff, which is still an ongoing benefit. Wow. They also access a wellness budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um we have a lot more check-ins with each other during the pandemic because obviously we're working in isolation. Some of my team living on their own. Yeah. Um, So it was really difficult for us actually. And I think even for me, just, and then like designing and launching and delivering our anti-racism work. Yeah. I think I found it quite difficult at times because, you know, you are often delivering to people who don't understand when they're saying something that is not, cool yeah yeah and at the same time you're in quite a shaky space because you know the virtue signaling as you refer to Mm -hmm. matt was happening i'm not sure how many companies who made noise and put up black squares or who wrote very eloquent messaging Mm -hmm. on posts on linkedin i don't think many have really done the work since i think one of the most depressing things i heard actually is that in the aftermath of George Floyd and the momentum of black lives matter grow, you know, growing uh, tons of bookshops had books that were reserved by people around educating themselves when it came to race. And those books were just never picked up. They were never collected. So, so, so that it was difficult. COVID Mm. impacted the way we worked as a charity in terms of pivoting to deliver online, but it also alongside George Floyd, impacted i think on our sense of wellness um you know constantly thinking about race and feeling triggered by it was really really hard things are different now it's calmed down Um, and we're doing something about it right my response i'm an activist by nature so when something makes me really angry and i feel really upset about something i create a solution Mm. and i think actually you change it has been my way of feeling A sense of agency when it comes to educating people around issues of race and informing different ways to work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I want to say one more thing, which is that obviously the majority of our women are Black and Asian, and they're also from socioeconomically disadvantaged backgrounds. So COVID really affected them Mm -hmm. because they were living in households often with people who had more exposure to COVID, bus drivers. Mm. People who worked in the cleaners in the NHS, Mm -hmm. there was a lot more exposure, so it was it was really hard for them. And there are quite a few women that we've worked with who have known people who've passed away of COVID. And there was lots of reporting at the time, right, that BME were. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Some people questioned the, and it's not because we're genetically different. We're not. We're the Mm -hmm. same. Mm -hmm. We're the same as you, but actually. Some people in specific professions have more exposure. Mm-hmm. They couldn't isolate.
0: Yeah, it was more circumstance, definitely. Mm-hmm. But that's so yeah. sad, and it sounds like there was obviously a lot of heartache there too. And mm-hmm. you know, as the owner of this organization, you would, you must just like kind of you, you must take the job home with you. Like, can you do you ever switch off from it?
2: Yeah, because if yeah. you. Don't you? If I didn't, I would stop doing this. Mm. So, for the first few iterations of the program that I ran, I had no ability to switch off from anything.
1: Yeah,
2: when we and then I got better at it because you kind of know that to be well and healthy is important if you're trying to look after the needs of other people, you burn out. I must say, though, and you've just reminded me of it during the pandemic because there was no break, Mm -hmm. it was just working from home all the time. Normally, I'm in a lovely co working (laughs) space um i think that that took me back to the early years of you make it where i was never switching off yeah Mm -hmm. um and you can't switch off right if you are somebody who's living within the context of a pandemic Mm -hmm. which impacts the people that you work with if you're stuck at home and then there's also at last finally there seemed to be some recognition the issues around race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, but, but in a really tragic circumstance, which is George Floyd. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah, no, it just must. I mean, reminds me of a uh,
1: another podcast I was listening, listening to where um, I think Richard Curtis had said that he, with all the comment relief stuff, you know, he's never he feels like he's never able to switch off. So knowing that the unfairness and the struggle exists out there, he finds it very difficult to to switch off because he's constantly thinking about what what more could be done, what more he could be doing
2: you just go mad though and i i I just think it i really i feel that it wouldn't serve me in any way if i didn't find some ways to take care of my own health and well-being and have some balance and you know that did not that did take a few years for me to understand how to do it and the pandemic it definitely didn't exist that got suspended for a few years but i think i'm back to the idea of balance and are you optimistic about kind of the future obviously it's been a big shift,
1: you know, yeah. uh, but it's obviously not been in any way kind of big enough. But there is there is a movement in that direction. How optimistic are you about the future and can we get there? And, you know, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Optimistic about just the, future, the eradication really? of
1: racism? Well, or... yeah, can, can we make, can we, well, yeah, ideally. You know, obviously, we're not going to be able to eradicate it. But, I think. But in terms of, are we making progress? Are we moving in the right direction? You wouldn't be doing what you're doing I, if you didn't think we could, yeah. we could make a change, I, right?
2: I can only talk about the experience of working with the companies who've taken part in you change it today. And we only launched halfway through 2020. Yeah. Um, I can say in respect of the people we've worked with today and the Clear changes in terms of how they perceive race and understand privilege, Mm. and have implemented practical changes within Mm -hmm. their workforces and how they work, I would say yes, there's a reason to be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. On a more global scale, on a more national scale, I'm very worried Mm. because there's a narrative in this government that has suggested that racism isn't really an issue. Mm. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, some people may be mad enough to believe it but me with lived experience and working on the ground completely knows it is yeah, an issue definitely. and the stats are all there mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: the statistics are all there how black and asian pe- people experience life in this country when it comes to employment education health the criminal justice system
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. all the statistics are there you've even got a public you
1: know situation around the the football you know and the euros and the england team and the penalty takers there that was just like just Seemed, I mean, it was outrageous, but you think that it was so stark, um, and you know, it's there, it's everywhere, it's it's
0: absolutely, st- in everywhere. every aspect of life, still it, like exactly. there is no it's escaping everywhere. it. And I think, yeah, that's why there's no way it could go anytime soon because it's just so prevalent. Still. No,
2: but but it's, it, but you, you do have to be optimistic yeah. when you do the work that I do yeah. because otherwise, I simply wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I do do it, and I can't believe I'm doing it almost 12 years later. So, yeah. Yeah. there is optimism in the same it's way that fantastic. I have optimism for our women who mm-hmm. are on our core empowerment mm-hmm. programs, right? Their starts mm-hmm. in life and what they have to go through is so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. things change them quite drastically as a result of our work with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do think that you can do your bit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You can do your bit. Yeah. And sometimes it's not helpful to just continuously pick, think about the big, big macro yeah. picture because that just feels too overwhelming. And then you'd probably end up paralyzed and not get out of bed in the morning. So mm-hmm.
1: yeah. I totally, totally agree. I mean, and I guess to that point, what, you know, we have a lot of employers, companies listening, you know, listening to this podcast, we work with a lot of employers. Is there, what would you say to employers, you know, to move, if there's one thing they could do or something they could do to move the needle in this space, is there, what message would you, would
2: you? I would say, and I would say this, but I really believe this is a solution. Get in touch with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, we'll and, get, we'll you know, we can, we can we can work. Yeah. yeah right. with, I'd love to get in touch with me. So um, what,
0: what do, they, do they do? Do they just Google? Like how What, what how shall they get in touch with
2: you? If you were to get in touch with me, it would just just email usma, A-S-M-A at U-Y-O-U hyphen make hyphen it dot org. Great. And we can work with you in a way that gives you a relationship and access and understanding to what young black and Asian talent is. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important part of what we do with employers. You know, we have our empowerment programs. They act as mentors for our women. It completely opens their eyes to the talents and abilities and lives of people who are very often not given space to step into the workforce. Um, They also offer work placements. That's another way in which we offer opportunities to work with uh, employers, but also through the You Change It program. we can educate you. Mm-hmm. And I think just, just to go back to my story of not being promoted, being underpaid, leaving organisations every two years because I was treated like so sub. Yeah, mm. I mean, they, they lost out on quite a big talent there yeah there aren't many people who could set up a, ta- a charity from their kitchen table and grow it and sustain it over 11 plus years of austerity through the <laughs> pandemic yeah exactly etc et with no team <laughs> <until> 2016 <laughs> so i think there's there's a real it's really important actually that people begin to open their eyes mm-hmm. to to what they miss out on yeah yeah um, and, and But I think most importantly, it's like missing out on a bit of your humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you operate in an unfair way,
0: mm-hmm.
2: no one wants to be on their deathbed thinking, oh, Joel, was just so unfair.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I completely agree. I, totally. And um, just to kind of finish it off then, I guess, um, I usually ask guests what one piece of advice they'd give to a young person starting out, like entering the workplace. Um, and to be honest, I often just like, write it all down and take that advice myself but today given you know what your organization does um i want to ask you what one piece of advice you'd give to um young black and asian women listening to this right now who are maybe struggling with their own mental health or happiness or confidence
2: um don't doubt yourself mm. don't doubt yourself don't doubt your abilities mm-hmm. even when other people are making you feel that you're not good enough yeah and if you think you're being treated unfairly, it means you probably are. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Listen to
2: your gut. That's important, I think. No, Definitely.
0: Yeah, really
1: important message. Thanks, Osma. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's been really, really interesting and some mm-hmm. really kind of powerful messages there. And, you know, as I say, we'll. You know, I want to kind of help you to kind of raise awareness. And obviously we've got, um, we're going to be involved with you in the next few weeks and months in many different ways, whether it's on the allyship programme or the mentorship program and i must admit i'm looking forward and i think you're delivering a workshop for us i I am yeah so the workshop in in november so i'm very much looking forward to that as well so yeah i guess everyone can kind of watch this space um and we'll put the details you know for your charity and the website and and your contact details you know in the notes of the podcast as well so so people can access that but um, thanks very much for coming on yeah thanks so much it's
0: been really interesting it really has listening to our Red Talks podcast, please like, share and subscribe.